Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. I bet Keithley's going to be coming in hot today. It's going to be scary. Hello. Hello. Oh my gosh, it's coming out of the wrong speakers. This thing's frustrating. No! Here, let's try this now. Good morning. Oh, that uh, there we go. Now we're in the right speakers. I got it. I need to choke, choke down this um this horse pill. I already started recording, and before you ever got in here, I said Chris is probably gonna be coming in hot. Coming in hot. Coming in no, hot. No, hang on. I gotta go. this pill though. I gotta get this. Let me see how big it is. Oh my gosh, that's like the same size as your pop filter on your microphone. It's pretty remarkable. That's like to scale. Yeah, it's really. <laughs> that's, that's huge. He's Dayquil, man. So you're not feeling so good today? Mm-mm. Hang on, what's that? I'm, I'm <laughs> I think we got a show title, Poppin' Pills. <laughs> man, I see you drinking that water. It makes me want to go fill mine up. <sighs> I have a real problem with pills. Like, I actually, I really struggle taking pills. Uh, I can take like 60 at a time. It's, it's no problem. That seems unhealthy. I got a gigantic throat. <laughs> Just pour them all in there. Yeah, yeah, I, I usually do. If I if I have more than one thing to take, I just put them all in my mouth at once. And uh, anything else would be time theft. I mean, you're really you're taking time away from the times when you could be doing useful things. That's right. You can always you can always make more money, but you, you can't make more time. So that's that's the only resource you have that is limited. So if you can swallow more than one pill at once, you've you've probably made it. Yeah, <laughs> this is how Vim people feel whenever they're writing code. Look how much more efficient I am. <laughs> it's also Vim people talking to other Vim people. Did you know that if you just do DIW, it'll delete everything inside of there? <laughs> you can save a whole extra keystroke. I recently switched to Space Max from Vim, so it's like it's like Vim only slower. <laughs> that's that's what I'm learning lately. <laughs> Is that it just takes longer for all the plugins to load in Emacs than it than it does in Vim. Well, see, that's your, your core problem is that you're ever stopping Emacs. Once you enter the Emacs, you're never supposed to quit Emacs. Oh, oh, right. But but anytime you like try to open the file search thing, it it is much slower than it is in Vim. What what are you using? I mean, I think it, it, what does SpaceMax use? Helm by default. Mm, mm-hmm. And Projectile, I think, are the two plugins that come with SpaceMax. And and it and it works mostly with the Vim base shortcuts yeah yeah evil mode is really 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 close like evil mode is cool evil mode's really good it's really i mean people really cared a lot about being able to use emacs when it doesn't work it's like twice as frustrating though because you're like no i know that freaking works and now i have two leader keys and that's not cool and like have you discovered org mode yet um, I, you know, I keep hearing about this magical org mode and, and I've, I've heard about it for years, but I have not jumped into that yet. I thought I might actually learn how to write code with it before I try to learn how to do everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, I used Emacs, who oh, I'm going to date myself, uh, like 99, back in, back in 1942, like tw- 20 years ago, I used Emacs. We had just gone to the great war. <laughs> That's perfect. I've been watching a show called Horrible Histories, and they have a lot of that, so so that cracks me up. I had been conscripted into the army at 16. 
My brother was 14 at the time and snuck his way in as a drummer boy. You want to kill people? No? Well, too bad. Because if you don't, we kill you. <laughs> oh, that's German army, right? <laughs> I don't... You lo- What? What? You took me... You took it over the line for me, personally. <laughs> I think, um... Learning Vim is equivalent to learning Emacs in the sense that you really have to kind of go all in on it. And then once you do it, it's really hard to learn the other one because like sunk cost fallacy kicks in and you're just sort of like, well, I already know how to do all these things this one way. So there's, I I would say, you know, people will get mad and be like, well, actually it's much easier to learn a modal way of editing code and explain to me why they're not equivalent. But I think realistically they're just about equivalent. And then the cool thing about Emacs though, is then you have org mode inside of Emacs, which is like learning Emacs again. You have a whole nother <laughs> Emacs inside of it to also learn. I got Emacs because it's so meta. O- org mode is massive. It's, yeah. it's this huge thing, but it's really cool. It's really, really cool. See, see, and I was getting out of Vim just because I didn't want to write Vim all anymore. Uh, it was driving me nuts. And, but I got out of Emacs a long time ago because I, I, you know, could check my email in it and I could, I could play Minesweeper in it. And at that point I, I just quit working. <laughs> so, so I had to get, get out of it. Uh, but I do remember the first time using Vim when I restarted my computer to exit cause I didn't know how to get out of it. And <laughs> I didn't know the shell well enough to, to be able to, to get out of it, to like background it and then kill it. I didn't even know how to do that. So yeah, I just rebooted. I went down the Emacs path for a long time, um, and, and I I didn't I tried Space Max for all of thirty minutes and decided I hated it. <laughs> what do you like, Chris? Oh, nothing really. Um, coffee. Yeah, coffee's nice. <laughs> no, I no, I mean I I just didn't like it. I don't like community based tools like that that can change on a whim. Like they're just beholden to whatever the community wants in the moment because I develop specific ways of working and that kind of stuff. And I don't want to be beholden to what the community thinks is the best practice. And so I, I, I just decided to cobble my own lightsaber together in Emacs. So I set up evil mode myself and I set up all the helm and projectile and whatever other nonsense myself. And it was a lightsaber at the end of it in as much as I could do things with it. But it was like a lightsaber where the blade came out of the side and you had to hold it with two hands, but the hands had to be inverted and like (laughs) the grip was crooked and, and it was actually made one side was sandpaper and the other side was just sharp pointy barbs. Like it made no sense and was not useful to anybody else either because it was this cobbled together mess. And, um, I basically stuck around for a while only because of org mode. And now I have just gone back to them because I don't want to think that much about it. Cause at the end of the day, like I want to edit with Vim key bindings for, for better or for worse. And I, that's, that's as far as I got. So I was like, why, why am I wasting this time? I, I was spending more time tweaking my setup than I was actually just using my setup to do useful things, which I think is a trap for a lot of us nerds. The idea of like, we enjoy the process of automation and enjoy the process of like micro optimization. Yeah. So that, so that I, I can save my time later by spending tons of it now. I don't even think, I think that's the thin, the thin veiled excuse we give ourselves. I just think we like optimizing 
And that can be fun for a time. And, and, you know, playing around and optimizing is a fun thing to do. And it's the same reason why those, uh, like those silly, like flash games are really addictive for a certain type of person. Like a person who really enjoys optimizing is really going to enjoy these like little flash games where you have to click, just like click a, a, a set of buttons in the most optimal way. That's like why those are addictive. So I think it's the same thing. For a very, very long time, um, I used to use FVWM. It's a window, Linux window manager that's fully scriptable, a lot like Vim. And I used Vim and I spent hours upon hours tweaking and adding little features. And, and I just ultimately, the reason that I went with Space Max and, and even uh, a lot of pre-configured Vim packages at one point was just to stop myself from spending hours and hours on on something that sometimes sometimes I'll admit some of the things I did with them were very useful and saved me way more time than I put into it uh, at other times it did not and FVWM tweaking that did nothing for me but give me a really pretty window manager but but <laughs> like usefulness wise nah not so much <laughs> yeah I don't know I'm I'm definitely in that camp uh, I mean, we, we've actually been talking about this because you've been reading um, David Allen's uh, Getting Things Done, which is a book that I pushed you towards a little bit. Yeah, I actually put that. So uh, I, I brought we brought back the uh, this Agile Life podcast and recorded again last night for the first time. And my pick was was this book. I, I have I'm halfway through the book and I have five pages worth of notes. I mean, you might be able to test this somewhat. I think that book is really, really, really useful Although I also will contend that it's showing its age. I I would agree. I would agree. But I, th- it's like the whole first chapter is making a case for knowledge work, a thing in, and the fact that knowledge work has a different set of requirements than, you know, uh, previous, uh, than, than other, like them working in a warehouse or something like that. And, or, or as I would just call it, like actually working. Like people who have real jobs, like you know, they see the fruits of their labors, and it's easier. And knowledge work is a like a lot more intangible. And the whole first chapter is basically about that, which is probably not a thing that you actually need to be convinced of anymore. Like as a programmer, I really think that it 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 applies to anybody that has a schedule and you have things that you need to do. It doesn't matter if you're a factory worker. At some point, you have some knowledge work that needs to get done. Right? You gotta remember to do your taxes or, or, or get new license plate for your car. You you have a to-do list. And if you're, uh, if you're trying to keep that in your head or just like a very static to-do list, um, where you just have a list on a piece of paper can, the, the organization stuff that goes into that often just makes to-do lists, big failure lists for me. Right. Well, and to-do lists can have this problem where they continually grow to encompass, you know, there's a lot of entropy that happens inside of a to-do list and it continually just grows like a goldfish until it, it takes over all of your available space. And then you're not really choosing what you're working on. And, and and you stop looking at it. Right. You don't trust it. It's like a calendar that you put everything into and then ignore all, all the alerts. Like you don't trust the system anymore and thus it's not useful. It's just now it's just noise. It's the same reason why I try to address each email and delete it, get it out of my inbox as quickly as possible is because it does, it does the same thing to me. I, I just can't, I, I get to where I'm like, why should I check my email? There's just much crap in there that I don't want to see. It's also, it's why I refuse to stay logged into Slack. 
and I, I refuse to have Slack on my phone. I'm not even kidding. Like it's it's the same. All those things are the same reasons. Like I can't trust this to actually be useful, but it's vying for my attention. I, I'm just a terrible human being on Slack. Uh, like you know, somebody will have a problem, and I think I'm gonna I'm gonna hop in here and help them out with this because because I've had this before, and I'll like ask them a clarifying question. And then three days later, I might go back and look. So if I'm in a high traffic Slack, I if I ask if I ask you a question, just uh, ignore me. So <laughs> you commit you committed the same the same logical crime that I did, which was when I got on IRC and I was like, I'm going to ask a question and maybe I'll get useful input. Nope, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you're wrong, fam. Oh man! See, I started on IRC when it was. Oh, like, far out! We never aired, we never released that episode where we talked did, about that. Did we not? Uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I I see IRC started for me, and like you got on there, and and it was like where's channels and and C and Linux, and so the where's channels were all about like you know getting getting free music or free software or sharing pornography um <laughs> or if you went in there because you you really wanted to learn something you went and asked in the c and linux channel people just went you don't know that you're dumb i'm not talking to you and then you know that 10 minutes later they return to their colleague and be like hey you know the answer to this guy's question because i have no clue what, the, what the, i don't even know what he's talking about uh irc is a much nicer place than it used to be <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean yes especially certain channels but uh, the my point with the GTD thing was that much like anything, if you're an optimizer, you're going to end up spending more time tweaking the system by which you do GTD than you actually spend just doing the work <laughs> that you're supposed to be doing. Like you're going to spend all your time just working out like productivity tips and, you know, figuring out a new way to be productive as opposed to just being productive to do your work. Is that if you do GTD? No, I think there's a. I think the trap that you can fall into if oh. you're doing GTD is just to spend all your time optimizing the way that you capture and the way that you process. I I, have, I wane in and out of times when I'm using relying on GTD a lot. Uh, when I'm doing it a lot, though, is when I find that I'm is when I'm most productive. When I'm actually getting the most done. That's when people ask you if you sleep at night. <laughs> That's the real thing. That's the real dirty secret to all this is that being productive, you think that you're going to be productive and then you're going to have like more time to do whatever, you know, mm-hmm. to, to achieve some goal or to work on your side projects or to just like have a life and spend time with your family or whatever. That is not what being productive gets you. <laughs> what being productive gets you is more work. Most of the time being productive is a, is a, facil- is a facilitation for more responsibility. And so I, I think... My, my kind of current take on it is that you be productive. You need a system not to be productive so that you can get more done in a day. You use a system like this so that you're choosing what to get done in a day. Like no, knowing full well that your time is going to get filled up and going to be valuable. What it really amounts to is you sitting down and saying, this is what I choose to work on today. This is what I care about. This is what's important. And you know, whenever you choose to work on something, you're also choosing to not work on something. Like that choice is is twofold. It's a double turns out. Your your choose every choice you make is a choice to not do something else. And so that's a big part of what a system like this is doing for you. 
And so micromanaging it and micro optimizing it in order to like have the most time available or whatever is nice. It's a nice thought, but I don't actually think it works in practice. And I don't think, I think that's a real recipe for sort of micro optimize. Like that's, that's how you end up like cobbling together an Emacs lightsaber, a lightsaber that chops off your own hand. You don't even need Darth Vader. Spoilers. You just do it yourself. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think that that's might get me in trouble with this. Uh, if I fully implement it, but it's a real um, trap. You got to watch out for it. I have a tendency that, um, you know, you said, you said that when you're more productive, it just means that you get more stuff to do. I I have a tendency when I'm being very productive to then not want to stop. I get super excited and I just don't want to stop. I thrive on that life. And so I have to put really hard things in place. Like I will walk out of my office at five 30. It doesn't mean I won't come back down at six 30, but if I don't, force myself to walk out i'll work until 2 a.m not even not even think about it except for the fact that three weeks later my wife is like hey can you can you um talk to your children please (laughs) i I, i've definitely fallen in that trap as well i try really hard to maintain a set of hours in which i'm working and not working like i try i try to compartmentalize my time a lot and then you know i just the productivity bit of it is like, I just get whatever I can get done, done in that amount of time. And that means choosing to not do a lot of things and try to figure out what the most important thing is. You know, and if I have an hour in the morning, I haven't, you know, I typically carve out about an hour every morning where I work on something that's important to me. Nice. And that might be reading a book or it might be just, I mean, it might be something like I'm I'm playing a video game. Like it might be like a mental break of just like, it's whatever, but it's like an hour of my time that I can spend however I want to. And however I spend it is fine. Like that's in my control and I feel better throughout the rest of the day because it's like that was an hour that I got to choose to spend however I wanted to spend it, Um, which is a super privileged thing to have because I work at home and all that kind of stuff. Not everybody can just do that. But that's, you know, I think if you can build those sorts of times into your life, it's, you know, it's a good thing. All right. Well, I feel like we've talked a lot about life and Anna and I on the last episode talked a lot about life <laughs> so so do we have any elixir news i don't even know if i want to say it chris no go ahead and we talk about <laughs> no, no no go ahead are you following this thread uh semi not not as closely as you that thread again is really long so when when you're talking about this thread uh are you talking about you're talking about the private module thread, i don't know right? if i want to talk about this like, i actually don't i don't really have an opinion I mean, I have an opinion, but like, I don't think my opinion matters. Uh, everybody's opinion matters, except for well, I mean, not yours, but you know, other. People. Well, that's yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> that's my point. I don't think it matters. I have a, I have a lot of opinions about the thread. I have like meta opinions about the thread. Oh well, let's uh, yeah, we maybe we shouldn't talk about those. I think I hate the forum. <laughs> I think that's like probably what it comes down to is I hate the forum. Well, you, you gotta you gotta make the forum what what you want it to be, or 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 don't be on it, right? <laughs> if if it really makes you that unhappy, Chris, just walk well, away. It doesn't make me unhappy. Like oh, okay. you're, you know, you're you're. It's it's not like I, I don't. I'm not feeling bad about my life being on the forum. I just don't think I, in a, in a merry condominium kind of way. Like I don't think I get any sort of like I hold the forum in my hand and I say, does this bring me joy? And I realize it doesn't, so I then throw it away. <laughs> So, so what is your goal when you when you go to the forum? I just try to keep up with like what's happening right now. Like, what is the 
I, it's a way for me to kind of gauge the community or at least the subset of the community, meaning the subset of the community is on the forum. Um, and for a lot of people, the forum is basically their pl- private blog, which we all happen to also be on. And they just sort of write a lot. Like there's people on here. I've been on the forum basically since it, not on, but like I created my account like soon after it was. We, we've we talked about wondering how, like what people's jobs are and how they how post so much of the forums. How do as much time? I mean, I mean, no judgment, I guess, you know, it's just, it's just funny to me. Well, they read David Allen's book and they applied it better than you did. Oh, That's what I've it. decided. Ah, <laughs> oh, triple turns out. I mean, I mean, more, more power, more power to the people that can, can do that. I, you know, that's part of me wanting this getting things done stuff is, is to try to, to become more active and, and, and be able to, to focus some time on a part of it instead of running like a chicken with my head cut off from one thing to the next. Um, just trying to get done whatever is top priority at that moment. Uh, I've lived that way for way too long recently, but I, I just, so, so this private module thing, I'm going to talk about it because you you can just sit there and listen if you I'd want. I'd love to. Um, I'd, I'd, yes, please, please do. Actually, I'm at, I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it. Uh, I I guess the idea behind private, not even private private functions, even half the time, I I feel like there's there's something, maybe a, a bad design decision. Maybe if we're having these issues with people calling private functions in our library we should think about well should these be public and and if they're not should should we give the developers enough rope to hang themselves with and maybe just every function inside of a module just put some underscores in front of it that that pretty much means it's private right like the underscore underscore info that that's added to every module it's not something that you normally call and i I guess whenever I I depend on things like that, I start to assume that they're going to break. And the proposals that I see are are about giving more warnings. And, and I, I, I don't think that there was any way in any of the proposals that I remember that was explicitly making it just not work. But then we're talking about making things not work that people are obviously using or they wouldn't be complaining about them changing, right? So you just make it completely unavailable to them or you give them the rope to hang themselves with. Well, from what I can tell the whole private modules thing started because in the latest in like Elixir 1.8, they changed. I I don't know. I, I, I don't, this might be wrong. I might be missing a ton of details, but from what I can gather, it's like quote unquote private modules or internal modules to Elixir, things that were not intended to be used from an, mm-hmm. an external API standpoint, were being used by some package. And that package was a transitive dependency of some other popular package. This is like a real JavaScript event stream type scenario. Okay. Like, it's a real left pad. <laughs> like, like, it was something like that, though. It was something like a transitive dependency dependent on some sort of internals, insert internal module of Elixir that the core team, de- you know, had marked as private like don't rely on this i mean in in the way that in in the way that we've done it traditionally which was you just don't put module docs in there and that's the way that you signal like this is not to be used that don't depend on this this will break you, and so use, use it your own risk right well it turns out it's used at the risk of everyone who uses your library and and that so so that's always going to happen and if so 
to me, I don't know what this solves. If it's if there are ways around it, if I'm just going to get a warning whenever I compile, then as a library author, I can still make the same dependency. And I don't know that that's all you get. I don't. I think well. So that's the context, right? But or I think that's the context. I think the context is that happened. Somebody did that, and then this transitive dependency was you being used by a bunch of people. And so a bunch of people, when they tried to upgrade to 1.8, it broke. And so it gives the appearance that Elixir's d- d- like upgrading and deployment is super fragile. So so my question is, the, modu- the modules and functions that were supposed to be private, instead of trying to figure out a way to block people from necessarily using those, which I, I'm not sure that that's what we're doing either. I, I think it's more informational. Um, but... And, and I understand where that's coming from because you don't want complaints later. You you can just be like, look, you had a warning. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Well, um, and from a purely like just utility standpoint, it's convenient to be able to get into your system uh, that's running and start debugging stuff and figure out why are these things like this. And if you actually were... were there's, a, there's a couple of things at play here. One is that Elixir itself doesn't have any notion of, an, of, of like a true namespace at a application level. Right. It's like every application is compiled into the same gigantic namespace. Yeah. Sorry. I, and that's not meant to say that Elixir doesn't have namespaces. It's more like it doesn't understand global namespaces, if if that makes any sense. Because like, it doesn't understand applications. Elixir doesn't know about applications. Right. Right. Ar- Ar- Erling doesn't really know. About and applications are sort of the unit of how we bundle things, whether that's a good name for that or not. You know, those are those whatever. are purely deployment organization mechanisms and so currently i don't i don't know i didn't i didn't look at the proposals too too strongly (laughs) but uh it's basically a way to say mark this as this is a better way to mark things as this is only to be used in my application namespace and where application means library application or whatever but but i think that we should be looking at why did they use it in the first place and and should we be providing it? And should we be be giving it to them? Should we support it? Um, I I I think I think like from a benefit of the doubt thing. I bet somebody probably did do that. For somebody probably did think about that. And it and yeah, I I did I agree with you that if someone's depending on this and this is I don't talk about this. This is my <laughs> this is my meta feeling about the thread. Is this thread is basically like these people suck. Whoever did this sucks as a human being and betrayed. Who did, and, who and did what? Whoever relied on these quote unquote private modules. First of all, there are no such things as private modules. That's a lie. And the other thing, the, the other contention that everybody's throwing around is basically that like oh they couldn't be bothered and they just wanted to get something done fast, right? And I've I've been on the hook. I've definitely said things akin to that as well. And uh, I think they were out of, I think they were probably out of turn, like it was me venting uh, and and weren't thoughtful. But uh, so, I mean, I'll own that as well. But there's so many, this thread is just filled with friggin appeals to authority, appeals to some unnamed majority of humans who all agree, appeals to like, somebody said on there like, oh, well, all of the top people in Elixir want this, so we're doing it. As like the way to describe as a, as a rebuttal to basically people who are saying like you like is this gonna solve like what we what we what we actually want it to solve? I I, I do want to be fair in that um, somebody having having a, a a poor argument for or against a proposal does not 
make the proposal good or bad. Because that it's really hard to separate that when you're reading through, and especially if you start to feel frustrated <laughs> over it. I I think for me it's just that this thread is just it's just depressing. <laughs> like because it's just it's just filled with so much like bad rhetoric. It it's just sort of ups- upsetting for that reason. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure somebody looked at this and they're like, how can we actually help solve this? Like in a way that's more meaningful while also still being open for the future, like while while providing people a useful tool and being open for the future. But yeah, there's a lot of, there's a, and there's a lot of talk about how this person, whoever, whatever this dependency was or whatever, like how they must've just been trying to get something done super fast and couldn't be bothered to do it the right way. And my contention is there's probably actually like a really good reason that it was being used. I have to imagine that whatever functionality they were relying on was so, like, useful that they had a good reason to do it. I really, really doubt it was laziness. Yeah, I, uh, you, I think you have to ask the people who did it why a bunch of times and and stop making judgments on on their choices. And but I we're we're all guilty of that at, at one point or another, though. Right. Well, we were talking to Andrew about this, and he was saying that. For certain things they have to do in in die elixir, they they're they have to rely on internal private stuff. Like there's no other way for them to do it. Yeah, Andrew Andrew Summers, right, friend of the show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, he. I mean, he was basically saying like, yeah, we're we're really beholden to like this functionality that is not public to do what we need to do to like to get this to work. And so like. I think there's probably very valid use cases for people doing what they're doing. And also, that's also partially why the the private modules thing is encompassing uh, that use case. Like, they still allow it. You, you can still use that stuff, but it's just now kind of another hoop to jump through. Yeah, you, you get warnings. And it throws, like, a warning belt. or an error. I think they're still debating on whether or not it should be a warning or an error. There's a lot of discussion about, like, how this should work in tests. Like, how does this affect other things? I don't know. I... I, I, in you know, like, I mean, really, I've stopped caring because I just, it's not going to affect me. I've never seen a problem at work where we're running a lot of Elixir services and I've never had a problem where I was like, you know what would have solved this? If you people hadn't been relying on these functions that I wrote, we would have been good to go. (laughs) I've never had that problem. You know, other people in our super secret um, private channel with our other Elixir friends, they were also like, why is it that we never seem to have the problems that everybody else is having? <laughs> and I think that that's, I th- that's a question I ask myself a lot. I mean, I, that's not to invalidate those problems. I am sure they're real. That, that actually does make me pause and go, why is it that I have not experienced these same things that everybody else is experiencing? I legitimately ask myself that and and really do try to think about it from the point of view of the other side of that. And I, I, I think that's why I go to the forum is is to hopefully get the other side of that coin and, and have somebody explain to me why and how they ran into these problems that I, I don't seem to have. And, and it makes me wonder, am, am I not pushing the envelope of the language or do I have some secret sauce hidden in, in my brain somewhere that keeps me from having this issue? Do the people I work with have that secret sauce or or what? I, I have I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. It It's really a thing where I struggle to I struggle to have enough context. You can certainly be empathetic. You can certainly be empathetic to the problems that people are facing. But a big part of that em- empathy 
uh, is trying to come to grips with that context or to like put yourself into that context. And if you don't understand the context at all, especially with like a not human problem, you know, this is like kind of more of a technical problem or at least a technical-ish problem. You know, this isn't like a, this isn't like a, um, a humanitarian thing. This is, this is like a programming language. It's harder to have that context. It's harder to develop that context if you've never seen that before, I think. Well, and, and when it's an open programming language, you get into the same things that you talked about with uh, like Space Max, where you have the community making these decisions that, that you may not understand why or, or, or may want things to work differently. And, and so it puts us in, in a hard place, I think, to, to be able to, to give back when we're, when we're not understanding decisions. That's, that's one thing though, that, you know, every time we've had Jose on, I, (coughs) he, he, he does seem to be thinking things out and, and in some ways, um, putting himself in everybody else's shoes, but still he has to think about as a language maintainer is having these private modules and warnings in there gonna save me time so that when people complain, I can just say, Hey, look, we warned you, this is private. And if you are using something private and getting those warnings, maybe maybe you should be bringing stuff up to the to to the listserv or the forum or or wherever your place of choice to say, hey, should this thing be made public? And it'll surface it to all the users of that library. That's the big thing, I think. Will will it surface all the way? Yeah, like- yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it has to compile it all, and at that point, you're gonna notice it if you're. Uh, this is I don't think this is what happened, but let's say you know Phoenix is all of a sudden relying on some internal private only thing inside of Elixir, which is probably honestly small potatoes because that that group of people is so intertwined. Like the group of people who works on Elixir and the group of people who work on Phoenix are probably aware enough to to be able to do that safely. But in any case, let's say Phoenix is depending on has some dependency that depends on you know an internal Elixir only thing. Well, now that's going to get surfaced to you as the end user of Phoenix. And you're still going to see that. So you're going to see that warning. And whatever you do about that warning, you know, it's up to you. Uh, But at least now you know and you can go fix it or go submit an issue or go, you know, put your stupid thumb emoji on an issue or whatever. (laughs) Yeah, because if I, I love warnings as errors when I compile. Right. Now, when it's a dependency that has a warning... I think Elixir is really smart in not causing your your compile to to die, and and say it's an error even if you have warnings as errors on. But if I decide to reach into one of these private functions for a specific reason, I now have to turn off warnings of, as errors on my entire project. Right there, to my knowledge, there's no way to say except for these warnings. I don't know. There might. Yeah, I'm not sure. Probably, probably not. I, I have never looked at that. I think we still. I think most of our services still compile with tons of warnings, just because of dependencies that we've never. That well, are if your de- if your dependencies have warnings, it doesn't it doesn't have that problem. Oh, we might. I don't know. I need to. I all of our services have different checks, and and balances on them. Some of them might have warnings as theirs. I mean, I guess I could pull if I if I this does go through and these warnings are there. I think they're. I think they're intentionally making it not a warning. I think they're making it something stronger than a warning. Oh, see, on the I, I'm I not very know. far I, down into the thread, but in read, the original I proposal, I, I think the, the general consensus is that warnings are going to get lost in the slew of warnings that you might have from your dependencies. Because the problem is, like, a lot of dependencies don't upgrade, 
or, or rather, uh, a lot of dependencies support old versions of Elixir. And so if you upgrade to a new version of Elixir, that all of a sudden... for Okay, like, let's go back in time to when parens became mandatory around zero arity functions. If you want to support prior versions of Elixir, but your users of your API upgrade their version of Elixir, now they just got a ton of warnings about your library because they're compiling your library. So I think the fear was that if it's a warning and it's in your dependencies, it's going to get lost in the slew of other potential warnings that you might see. And those people, the parens thing's a bad example for this, but you can imagine a warning where, you know, if you want to support an older version of Elixir, you can't use new language constructs and you can't necessarily like support, you can't just go fix the warnings necessarily, like deprecation warnings and stuff like that. You can't necessarily move forward on. So you're just going to have those there until you stop supporting the old version of Elixir. And and I think the more that uh, big industries start to utilize Elixir, the more important it's going to be for your, if you want people to use your libraries for them to be backwards compatible to to older versions. Just because you know some sometimes uh, just upgrading, uh, uh, especially a main thing like like Elixir itself, can be pr- a pretty big choice on a team um especially larger teams you know you have you have 40 people working on a system it doesn't have to be everybody on the same project but let's they're all running in the same beam so you upgrade the beam now you have 40 people who have to to make that move and so it can be harder to plan so you need to have longer term support on on older versions i don't know o- overall i I'm ambivalent. I mean, we're going to get this. We're going to get it one way or the other. I don't, I doubt, I, I honestly s- sincerely doubt it ends up having much of an impact on my life because so, so you don't, you've, you vote meh. I vote what <laughs> I, I vote Switzerland. Like I vote, I vote to abstain or, or just like I'm a neutral party on this one. I, I'm dismayed by the rhetoric that's being used in this discussion, but, um, that's what it is. I mean, that's just people on the internet, I suppose. So I'm not, I'm not too worked up about it. I, um, you know, this just came up, you know, t- at, at the time of this recording two days ago, uh, in, in the Elixir forum and, and on the listserv. So I, I don't know. I would like to sit on it. I would like to see the community sit on this for even another version, like after one nine, uh, and, and just, spend some time thinking about why and how, and is this really going to solve our problem? Um, and it might, I'm, I'm not saying that it won't. Uh, it, it just seems, seems to me that I, I'm see, I don't even, I try not to use private methods most of the time. I'm more likely to say, you know what, let's pull that out into another module make it public and, and see where we go. I do use private methods. I'm not saying I never use them, but, uh, I, I often try to try to group them together and pull them out if I start seeing some common threads within them. So so private modules will probably be something that I never intentionally use. Yeah, I mean, and most of our stuff is. I, I think I think a big part of this is that you know we're we're obviously speaking from a very limited perspective. Like we've only seen the things that we've seen at uh, Latote before the diaspora of the Latote Elixir team. Um, our stuff was really self-contained. We all. We were a real small team, all, all things considered, uh, and we all kind of like had a pretty, I won't say a similar way of thinking about things, but in terms of Elixir stuff, like we didn't, we had a, a pretty reasonable way of organizing st- stuff. 
I don't know that it would have been helpful for that. And then at BR, it's like we have a lot of services, none of which do so much that you need, you would feel compelled to hide a lot of internal business logic away from everybody else. Like you would not need that. And so because of that, I think if you were on a team where you were building a giant Phoenix app, let's say, um, like a traditional Phoenix app, like filled with views and filled with HTML rendering and filled with lots of context and all this kind of stuff. I mean, at that point, yeah, I could see maybe like maybe that becomes more of a problem for you. Maybe if you've got 20 people, 30 people all working on the same, you know, repo and same app or subset of apps. Yeah. I mean, I guess I could buy that. Like you want to be able to lock down certain things. Sure. I, I mean, I can say this, this module is only usable by that controller. I guess. I don't know. I That, that might be a conceit for the real world. Um, seems like it's useful. I, I, I tend to just feel like you don't want to lock things down. Like you want to, you want to grow and you want to make things you want to build modules that are usable on their own anyway. And so if they get used for other purposes, it's like, that's good. You did your, you did good design. That just means you did a good, just a good design. But I, I understand that that's not always possible and not always what people are working with, pragmatically speaking. So I, I get the, I get what has led people to this as much as it isn't something. It's like the formatter. It's like the formatter all over again. <laughs> like, I, I get why people want it. I don't. I, I find very, very little value in it personally. But, you know, I'm not here to yuck your yum. Like, that's, that's, if you like it, that's fine. And like all of my open source stuff, people use the formatter on it. And it's not like I reject their pull requests. <laughs> I just don't. <laughs> like, I just don't set that stuff up. I'm going to go to all of your open source stuff. I'm just going to download it and run the formatter and put in a PR. Someone has threatened that's... to do that. It's happened before. <laughs> Did you accept it? Yeah, sure. Yeah, whatever. If it makes, I, I don't know. If it makes other people feel good and they're contributing and that's like the way they want to contribute, then that's fine. I have no problem with that. Nice. It's like the people who add semicolons to JavaScript or whatever. Who add them or... Or, or remove them. Whatever. Whatever you're, you know. I, I don't know. I get, like I said, I think I, I can try to empathize and put myself in the perspective of people who, who probably do have these problems, who want that kind of control over stuff. And yeah, I guess I could see that. It's not stuff that I uh, personally am like pining for, and I'm I'm just not running into the problems or seeing the problems. I guess um, as a maintainer, though, I can I could see wanting to tell people to stay out of the kitchen, but uh, I don't know that putting a door in the kitchen. This is a very very bad analogy, but putting a door in the kitchen doesn't keep the people out of there. Uh, it it just might be a slight deterrent, and I'd rather figure out why they want to be in there. Yeah. 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 I, I think it's just hard. I think it's hard to do that on like an ecosystem basis. Like you can't go to everybody's house and knock on their door and be like, why did you do this? I'm not maintaining things that are as, as widely used as Elixir itself. Right. <laughs> so excuse me, sir. You've uh, you've been found guilty of using private methods and modules inside of Elixir Corp. <laughs> you you were fired. I'm just here to say, sir, uh, you're going to levy a tax upon you. $10,000 is what we're trying to get back. We're, see- we're seeking punitive damages and a cost to the overall ecosystem. Sir, can you tell us how long you've been using private modules? <laughs> I think whenever... Um, so so I'm, I'm going to deep tease 
We have. I don't uh, even know what that means. A deep deep tease, really? It's it's okay. like Continue. it's where I feel very uncomfortable now. It's it's where you you talk about something coming up in a future episode. Hmm. Um. So so we're supposed to be having a couple guests uh, coming up soon. Sasha, uh, Elixir in action, and uh, just today on on Twitter, I I realized that um, I think we've both, I think Fred, friend of the show, um, invited himself on, and we both agreed. <laughs> I'd be super happy to have him. Um, I'm gonna call him Ferd the whole time so that other people know who we're talking about. But I think that you should do both of those shows completely in that last accent or in your internet voice. No, maybe not your internet voice. That would get real annoying. Yeah, your internet voice only lasts about two minutes and then I can't do it. I can't handle it anymore. Southern Lawyer is uh, is pretty good. (laughs) Froghorn and Leghorn. Froghorn? Foghorn. It's a combination of Kermit the Frog and... Well, yeah. Foghorn Leghorn. Yeah, can you do that accent? I want to hear that. Hang on, I'm working. I'm, I need to become this person. <laughs> <laughs> this is gonna be awesome. I can't. I can't do a, real, a very good Kermit. I can do a baller Mickey Mouse. Kermit the Frog here. I can't either. You can do Mickey Mouse. Let's let's hear Southern Mickey Mouse. Though. Yeah, it's Mickey Mouse, but yelling at Michael Eisner for making right. Piglet the movie. All right, let's let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> you can't put me on the spot for this yeah, shit. <laughs> yeah, now you can't do it. You know, you know, all those college kids that are that listen in are just going to be talking about you doing Mickey Mouse voices now. Oh yeah, right. <clears throat> He's got to get a drink of water. Chris is drinking water. This is very, very good radio. <laughs> it's got to be natural. You got, you can't, you can't put this stuff on me and then just have me do this. It's got to be an actual natural thing. Here's what you, here you go. What is that? You make a horse noise? Yeah, when you first start doing that and letting your lips buzz together, it makes you want to laugh. But you just keep letting it go and keep doing it, and then it will <laughs> relax you. No, no, not like that. You, you got to relax your lips. Is this some sort of like them. impromptu, you know, uh, stage technique, get over stage fright? I'm just, I'm just making crap up. Oh, okay. Which yeah. I think most of the get over stage fright stuff is. It's just like, get somebody to do something stupid and ridiculous and they'll be they'll be comfortable it'll be i think most of getting over stage fright is forcing yourself to be in an awkward situation so then you don't feel awkward when you get up on stage like you intentionally standing naked underneath the st louis arch well so what i what i used to do before talks and i still do this if i'm feeling a little bit nervous before talks is i force myself to go up to someone and i introduce myself and like strike up a conversation because it forces me, like someone I've never met before, because it forces me to get into the headspace of someone who's outgoing, which I am nice. not, naturally. So that was my te- that's my technique for getting over my stage fright when I get up on stage. That's like a that's like a million dollar tip right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got I've got a, I've got a bunch of those. You heard it here first. Yeah, your my loss. hourly rate is two twenty five. I will come to you and explain to you how to give better presentations. Nice. That's two hundred twenty five thousand, by the way. obviously i thought that was implied uh but yeah that one's good and then also the other the the double turns out on that one is that now you have a human being in the audience where if you feel like you're bombing you just make eye contact with that person and they'll typically smile at you because now they know you oh my gosh second second great tip yeah it's it's a it's a double it's a double turns out yeah yeah man it's a two for like on tuesdays it's really good (laughs) only on thursdays (laughs) <laughs> Thursday is a very Thursday's got a very specific oeuvre it's got a very specific uh, feeling to it it's not quite the weekend but you're definitely it's the wind down day 
That's that's why we record this day. Right, yeah. We've taken in all the news that we can, and we're now we're ready to decompose. And then completely throw out all of the news and just talk about whatever's in our mind at the moment. Uh, so I've got to get out of here in a few minutes. Got just busy stuff going on at the end of the year, looking for new clients. Uh, so so that's been pretty busy. Started recording this Agile Life again. How's that? Right, so How was that? Yeah. I, I missed the 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 team. It, it was it was pretty fantastic to to be back. At least part of the team was back last night. There were there were four of us on there last night. I think there's going to be five of us next week. Uh, over the years, there have been a couple other people that have come and gone from the show. I don't expect them to come back, but the the main group was was all there, and it was just really nice to see everybody again. And we jumped right back in there, uh, obnoxious as ever. So I I look forward to that coming out, but. It it definitely uh, definitely won't replace the Elixir Outlaws. I, I enjoy coming out here and talking to, this, to you guys about this way too much. This is definitely a, a um, this this whole podcast is for me. That's how I look at it. It's just it's just making it's just, me it's just to make me feel better. Yeah, right. I mean, I get to talk to you guys, and and that makes me feel great. Well, just you today, but I I had Anna all alone last week, so that was pretty fantastic too. So, do you do you um. We might have we might have to cut this if if you don't. But do you have the list of of people who have given to our Patreon account? Yeah, let's just pick somebody at random. That's not Jeff Weiss, because that wouldn't be random. And and just let's let's say thank you. And I did see that some people are starting to get their stickers, so that's pretty awesome. I sent it to you. You sent it to me. You couldn't just pick somebody? No, I, I sent you the list. You wanted the list. You didn't want to be that guy, huh? All right. Uh, I'm I'm going to pick Sean O'Neill. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, Sean. For, for, for being show. a friend of the show. Thank you so much for for your support. We really appreciate it. And uh, I, I look forward to um, being able to bring you more episodes. And let us know if there's anything you want us to talk about. Yes, please do. Or complain about. We're good at that, too. Well, you know. <laughs> All right, Chris. Well, with that, I uh, I better get out of here unless you got... No, that's what, it. Got, I, have no, I have no thoughts. I didn't have thoughts to begin with, and you, you drug thoughts out of me. Well, that's good. That's what I try to do. And uh, and everybody, I, I've been looking a lot at your Vapor library, so everybody go out and check out Vapor and, and see what you think. Um, give Chris some feedback tell him which modules he should make private <laughs> you're welcome chris and format his code oh yeah 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 if you want to do that that's fine it's fine i don't care <laughs> all right well thanks chris all right later man have a great day